Fallon Community Church. It's Pastor Todd here. I hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a good Sunday. Obviously, I'm not with you today. I am in Africa, in Nairobi, Kenya. It's our last day in Nairobi, and we are there with No Hungry Children, a group of about 10 people or so that are there just for a very short period of time uh, for a vision trip. And uh, we are there really actually getting to see what No Hungry Children does in Nairobi. They serve the slums of Kibera, where two and a half million people live, and we have sponsored Kena Junior School for, for many years, and we've uh, sponsored No Hungry Children for many years. And, and I'm excited because when I come back, uh, myself and two others from our church, two other members from our church, uh, we will have some stories to tell you and we'll be able to show you video and pictures of what goes on there with No Hungry Children, an amazing organization. And I want to thank you so much for being a part of supporting them through your giving to Hilton Head Island Community Church. Today, you're going to hear the last in our series, Get in the Game. And it's going to be special because Clint Trebesh is here. Clint and Leanne were some of our very first missionaries that we sponsored through Navigators. And now he's the area director of Navigators in the Atlanta area. And so today he's going to bring you the last in this series, Get in the Game. So why don't you give him a very good, warm Hilton Head Island Community Church welcome, Clint Trebesh. I think this is the first time I've had an applause, and when I haven't, I haven't even started. Uh, we'll see how how your applause is when I end today here. Hey, I'm thrilled to be back with you all. It seems like Todd goes overseas, and then he calls me to come. And last time I was here, uh, he was in Belize in the jungle, and uh, so hopefully this isn't a pattern that's developing frequently. But know how grateful I am to be here. Uh, with you all this weekend. This church is uh, a delight for us to be part of uh, as we're in Atlanta. And my wife is sitting over here with my mother-in-law this morning, and we just love this church. You guys have been so generous and so faithful to support us in how God is working in and through us in Atlanta among university students, business professionals, churches, um, youth that have been pushed to the margins of society, a number of people. So thank you. This morning, as Todd mentioned, we're closing up a series, Get in the Game. Uh, I have uh, had the, I don't know if it's the pleasure or the misfortune of seeing some of the uh, pregame warm-up videos they've been showing over the series here, um, but I love, I love seeing uh, Todd leading the charge with his basketball skills this morning, we have no such shenanigans, but we are going to be getting into uh, a message on how we can take every opportunity to share our story of how Jesus changed our life. And uh, we're closing out this series by recognizing God has given each of us a story. You know, I just thought if, if we even just pause for a moment and everyone in here just looked around this room, go ahead and do it around this room. Everyone in here has a story. And I know sometimes I get so caught up in the busyness and the chaos of life, I forget the story God has given me, and I certainly forget to look around at the people God has placed among me and around me to see what he's doing in their lives. God has given each and every one of you a story. Whether you know him or not, 
He's working. He's powerfully working in your life. My story uh, of meeting Jesus did not begin when I was a freshman in college, but that is when I became aware of God working in my life. When I was 18 and a freshman at the University of Colorado, God brought a guy named Tyler alongside me. Tyler was my RA, my resident assistant, resident advisor on my floor. And Tyler was a Christian, loved Jesus, loved studying the Bible with a group of other men. And he loved doing a lot of things I loved doing. He loved mountain biking. He loved playing frisbee golf, disc golf. He loved food, a lot of food. And Tyler and I started hanging out, doing some of those things. And uh, as I got to know Tyler, Tyler started sharing his story with me of what Jesus had done in his life. And it compelled me to want to know more. Now, as a college freshman, I was pursuing things that I thought would fulfill and satisfy me. I was pursuing fun. I was pursuing girls. I was pursuing a lot of things that turned out to not be fulfilling and satisfying. And uh, as I started seeing the walls crumbling around me, academically, relationally, in a number of ways, I started to question, huh, I wonder if God has something for me. I don't know who this God is. I'd never read the Bible as an 18-year-old, never opened a Bible for myself. And I decided to say, yeah, I'll check out this Bible with you, Tyler. Now, because God had placed Tyler in my life and lived authentically with me, it put me in a place where I could say, I might be interested in this. So Tyler and I started reading the Bible together with a group of other men. And then God brought alongside a guy named Kyle, who was this tall, awkward, goofy guy from the upper Midwest. And I was not wanting to be tall, awkward, and goofy. And so I initially put my hand out and resisted him. But I couldn't help but avoid how much Kyle wanted to just love me as a friend and as a brother. And Kyle, who happened to be on staff with the organization I now work for, The Navigators, Kyle said, Clint, hey, I would love to take you out to lunch. I'll buy you lunch. Can you tell me your story? And as a college freshman, I said, well, hey, if you take me out to lunch and buy me a free lunch, I'll tell you whatever you want to know. (laughs) And so he and I met up for lunch, and he said, tell me your story. And I had never really thought of that. What What is my story? So I just kind of fumbled through, you know, what I thought was going on in my life. And, and Kyle then, with Tyler as well, started saying, how would you like to know more about God's story? I said, I want to know this. And so we, over the next several months, dug into God's story. Now, I'd like to think of this, uh, you know, this, this water bottle is full of droplets of water. You know, every drop of water in here, if I just try to drop one out at a time, uh, doesn't necessarily do a whole lot for anyone. But together, this compiles, you know, this whole bottle of water. And I thought in a similar way, our stories are like individual droplets of water that are actually part of one bigger story. Because here's the thing I want us to walk away from this morning, is recognizing that your story, each of our stories, 
isn't really about us. Our story is about a bigger story of God working in and among people to redeem them and restore them into relationship with himself. Each of our stories are really part of a bigger story. And if we took one of those droplets of water and we broke it down in its chemical and molecular makeup, we would see an infantile number of things coming together. Not really infantile, but we would see an infinite number of things coming together, working in this droplet of water. And in a similar way, God has done a number of things in each of our lives to compile our story. And some we brush off and disregard. Some, some things that have happened in our lives, we want to just suppress altogether and forget. And what God wants us to do is to say, hey, everything that's happened in my life is working towards a redeeming, restoring, reconciling relationship with him. We're going to take a look at a man named John this morning. As we look at how, how do we take every opportunity to share our story of how God changed our lives, we're going to look at John. There's a number of Johns in the Bible. We're going to look at a guy named John. I, I want to refer to him as John the Baptizer. We may know him as John the Baptist. He was not a Baptist any more than he was a Presbyterian or a Methodist. We're going to call him John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer was a... Uh, a cousin of Jesus. They were about six months apart. John was born six months before Jesus. And uh, the first record, record we have in the scriptures of, of John is when he, he leaps in his, his, mother Mar- or his mother Elizabeth's womb when Mary, Jesus' mother, comes and visits. The Bible says John leapt in her womb, an unborn child, full of life. Because Jesus and him in the womb had their first interaction, if you will. The Spirit of God working mysteriously, we don't know. But John enters the scene, and we're going to look at the book of John, written by a different John. We're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 19 through 34, as we open this up. Because here's what happens. John is going to start to unload his story. But not like we would normally think. Or assume. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles, if you have it on your app, if you have it in a good old-fashioned paper Bible, turn with me to John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 19 through 34 here. And here it says, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, 
And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. He refers back to when Jesus was baptized here, and he says, he says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let me pray with us, for us. Father in heaven, as we open this passage here, God, would you speak into our hearts and our minds over these next minutes of this morning that you would work in us an understanding of how we are working as part of your greater story. And God, I pray that you would, you would instill in each of us an understanding and awareness of how our story can radically impact and change the lives of others. Lord, I pray that you would be very present as we unpack this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So here, John is approached by some religious leaders from Jerusalem, all right? Now, he's out in the, in the sticks. <laughs> he's out in the woods. John's a little bit of a wild guy. He, uh, you know, if he was li living in modern times, uh, I'm, I, he would be somewhere between, like, uh, some fire-breathing, Harley-Davidson-riding maniac and a uh, hippie. And I don't know if you can compile those two, but John was just kind of out there, all right? He, the Bible says he ate bugs and honey, he had wild hair. He wore camel's hair. He just was not the type of guy you would be longing to go hang out with on a normal basis. You wouldn't wake up in the morning and say, wow, oh, I just can't wait to go hang out with Stinky John today. You know, like that's not what you would be thinking, but God was powerfully using him. God was powerfully using him. And here, John refers to how he didn't know Jesus. And what he was referring to is, as his cousin, it didn't become apparent to him until Jesus was baptized by him, and he sees the Spirit of God come down from the clouds from heaven and descend and remain on him. Until that moment, John didn't realize that this cousin of his was, in fact, the Messiah, the Christ, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. These are all words he's used to describe Jesus. And then he realizes, and you know what? I am certainly not him. <laughs> and so when the religious leaders come and they see this incredible ministry that John has, he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. People are flocking to him because of this new message that he's brought. 
And the religious leaders are sent to say, hey, go check this out. Something's stirring. We need to know what's going on. We've got we've to be able to control the religious activity in our country. So go check it out. And they come, and they're just, I think, very disappointed because he doesn't give them very <laughs> clear answers. I think they leave a little bit more confused than they started. But here's what John is getting at. His story really isn't about him. As he unloads this, and it says, this is the testimony of John. John recognized his purpose, specifically given audibly by God, which is very unique. I've never had God audibly speak to me like he did to John, I don't think. But John was given a purpose to pave the way for Jesus coming. This was John's contribution. And later on, actually in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke's account in Luke 7, 28, Jesus is talking about John later on. And Jesus says, of those born among women, which is all of humanity, there is no one greater than John. And in essence, Jesus is saying, John, the baptizer, he's the greatest person that's ever lived, apart from Jesus, of course. Why? Why does this crazy maniac out in the woods, dunking people in the water, eating bugs and honey, what makes him the greatest person who's ever lived, according to Jesus? I think it's because John recognized his life wasn't about him. A few chapters later in John 3.30, in fact, there's a verse many of us may recognize. I think Tim Tebow maybe made it popular in pop culture, but, but it's in John 3.30, John says, he must increase, I must decrease. And this was John's MO. This was his mode of operation. He recognized his whole life was not about him. It was about Jesus. And it was about making Jesus great. It was about elevating Jesus in the way God had positioned him to. And I look at this and I think each of us are positioned in a unique way, different from one another, to do something very similar, to elevate Jesus. You know, because I, I walked up here this morning and I thought, God, I don't really have a whole lot to offer. What do I have to offer? I mean, I could talk and you could listen and you maybe applaud. But really, what do, what do I have to offer? What do any of us really have to offer that's going to impact the lives of others, that's going to impact the world? And I heard Jesus say, a lot. You have a lot to offer. Because I'm doing a unique work in each and every one of your lives to bring me glory, not to elevate and exalt you. And you're going to do a lot. You can do a lot. And I hope as we leave here this morning, you recognize that God wants to deeply use each and every one of us because he deeply loves each and every one of us. And our story is powerful, and our story will impact the lives of others. So John quotes this verse in the Old Testament from the, from the book of Isaiah. John says, this is my purpose in life. I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. 
John filters his life and his understanding of himself, his identity, through who God says he is. He filters everything he knows to be true about himself through who God says he is. Not through who his disciples or the people he's baptizing or the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He's not taking into account what they're determining his life to mean. He's recognizing my identity is who God says I am. And John knows that he is beloved and redeemed and set apart, just like each of us. So my question to you is, who is defining your life? Is it God or is it someone else? Is it your work or is it the worth God has given you? Who is defining your life? Because if we're going to break down this message, take every opportunity to share our story of how Jesus changed our life, we have to go in reverse order. We have to start with, who is Jesus? How has he changed my life? How can I understand my story? Then, how do I take every opportunity to pass that on? We can't start with, well, I'm just going to go out and start sharing my story without recognizing how Jesus has, in fact, transformed and redeemed us. And John is on that. And so when he sees Jesus the next day coming toward him, Everything's on hold. Stop. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he concludes it by saying, I bear witness. I testify what I know to be true without a doubt is that that is the Son of God, that Jesus. How does he understand this? Is it because he saw Jesus do miraculous things? Yeah. Is it because he saw the Spirit of God descend on Jesus? Yeah. But I think more than that, he's so in tune with God himself that he's in line with the heartbeat of God. He knows the Word of God. He spends time with God searching the Scriptures. And I know several weeks ago, as part of this series, Todd got into that. And I know last week, Justin talked about how God has given us a ministry of reconciliation, and it comes out of a heartbeat that God has and how he's speaking with us. So here's my next question with you. How in tune are you with the heartbeat of God? How in tune are you with the heartbeat of God? Are you seeking him daily in his word, in community, to understand what's on his heart? That you, beyond a doubt, would know Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's a man who works um, a security job at the front desk of the office building where we rent uh, some office space. The, the navigators in Atlanta, our city team, uh, rents some co-shared space. I don't know if any of you are familiar with uh, co-working office space, but we we basically have a corner of, a, of an open floor in this building downtown Atlanta, and there's a bunch of ministries that work out of it. 
And so there's, I, think there's, I think there's 15 ministries or churches that rent space here. And it's an incredible collaboration space. But there's a guy who works at the front desk, the security desk, when you walk in. His name's Brandon. And about two weeks after walking by him, hey, Brandon, you know, I just met him briefly one day and learned his name, pushed the button, take the elevator up, kind of the morning routine. On the elevator ride, I thought, I wonder what Brandon's story is. And so that afternoon when I came down, he was still there, and I said, hey, Brandon, tell me a little bit about yourself. And I just stopped, and I took 15 minutes, and I just wanted to get to know him. And so Brandon started telling me a little bit of his, his story, just the kind of surface. The next day, I came in, and Brandon was there. Brandon, how's it going, man? He, he was so excited to see me. I said, Brandon, how was your night? He said, oh, man, it's, it's not good. He said, I had a fight with my ex-wife. and Oh, I didn't know you had an ex-wife. Yeah, and we get to know each other. So over the next two months up until now, Brandon and I have been getting to know each other. And I've been hearing his story more and more about he's been estranged from his kids and he wants to be with his kids. I learned that he grew up on the streets of Atlanta, literally on the streets. He would spend night after night on sidewalks. And someone came alongside him, gave him a job opportunity. He started to get cleaned up. He's got a stable job, but his life is still a mess. Brandon and I have loved hanging out and talking. So after about three or four weeks, I said, Brandon, hey, can I share my story with you? Three or four weeks of getting to know him. He'd never asked me what my story was. He said, yeah, I'd love to hear so I said, Brandon, here's, here's where I'm coming from. Here's, here's my story. And I said, you know what, Brandon? My story really isn't about me. My story is about what God's done in my life. And I want you to know that. Wow. He said, hey, I, I got to tell you, I've been starting to read the Bible. <laughs> what? That doesn't make sense at all based on what you've told me. All right. He started reading the Bible and he started listening to this podcast of a preacher that's a little off the rails and and I said, all right, well, we have some things to figure out and work through. And he's, he's really starting to buy into this prosperity gospel that says if he gets his life in order, God will bless him. If he starts to make good decisions, God will bless him and everything will work out. That's what he's starting to believe. I said, whoa, whoa hold on, hold on. I said, Brandon, would you like to start reading the Bible together and looking at what it says? He said, yeah, let's do that. <clears throat> And then he said, hey, can I share something with you? I said, yeah. He said, I'm starting to write a book. I was like, all right, Brandon, you are surprising me left and right here. He wants to write a book about God, angels, and demons. I said, where is this coming from? He said, Clint, I got to tell you, when I lived on the streets, I saw demons. Like real demons? He said, well, I think they were real demons. I was like, okay. He said, and I really want to know how the angels and demons come together. I was like, all right, well, first things first, man, let's, let's look at who Jesus is, and then let's see what uh, this angels and demons thing is. He said, oh, I'd love that. So Brandon is going to come in a half an hour early to his shifts, and we're going to start reading the Bible together. He wants to know who Jesus is. 
He grew up in a church background, religious background, before he got booted to the streets. And I want him to know the authentic Jesus. And God used my story to open a door in that. God has opened a door for us to engage. And I pray that when someone comes to him and says, Brandon, who are you? What are you doing? Like they did with John the Baptist. I pray that one day, Brandon would be able to say, here's who I am. A redeemed child of God. And God is working in my life. And he would be able to say that in a, weird, in a way that's not weird to the world. Christians are good at being weird. How can he do it in a way that's not weird and is not fake, but is authentic? And he says, my life is about what God is doing and who God is. And John the Baptist says, this is the son of God who has changed my life. And I want everything to be about him. Because here, Peter was on to something as well. And Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, a verse many of us may be familiar with, in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, or regard him as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that you have that is in you. Yet what? You do it with gentleness and respect. And I think Peter was like, let's not be weird about this. Let's be authentic. Let's be respectful to the people around us. We don't have to give diet Jesus to the people around us. They can handle the real deal. We don't have to water down the gospel. People can handle the real deal. And Peter is saying, when people, not if people, but when people ask you, to give a reason for the hope that is in you, have an answer. Why do you hope in him? Why do you believe in him? What has he done in your life? And how is your life different? I work with college students who received Christ, and it's a journey. It's a journey. I can relate to this. It's a journey. It's been a journey for me. But to have your life look different once you know him compared to before knowing him. I don't think Jesus is saying, receive me, boom, everything is going to change right then that day. That doesn't happen to people. But what does happen is we are on a journey and a process of God redeeming us and renewing us. Because you see, God doesn't just like to change people. He likes to renew people. So when you are asked, why do you believe in Jesus? What is different about you? What do you say? How do you respond? How do you even get to a point where a coworker or a colleague would say something or ask something? There's a coffee shop that opened up uh, near me, and uh, I made it a point to try to get the, to know the owners a little bit. It's a husband and wife that own the coffee shop. They run it. They, it's just you know, a little ma and pa place, local place. Luke and Letty are their names. Letty's from Latin America. She speaks very broken English, but she knows coffee. She can do coffee well. She, they roast it. They have people that, they, uh, su that supplies it from where she's from. And Luke is a good old southern white boy, and they are just a pair, and I love it. And I've been getting to know Luke and Letty. And uh, 
one morning I was in there getting coffee, and Luke said, Clint, and we've been getting to know each other for a while. He said, Clint, what drives you? That was his question. I was like, why? What do you mean? He said, well, I see a lot of people come in, but there's something different. There's something different about you and the people you work with. I've been noticing. I was like, well, I hope that's a good thing. Uh, I said, well, tell me a little bit more about what you've been noticing. And I wish that I could say this was the case in every aspect of my life, but by God's grace, this is where, where he's had me in this place. He said, I think you really care about people. I paired that with a conversation a while back where I had someone say, I don't think you really care about people, so it's not always like this. <laughs> but by God's grace, Luke saw something different. And uh, I'm a sinner, and he saw something good. And, and Luke said, I see something different. You care about people. And I said, well, Luke, I'm glad to hear that because I really have a hard time caring well for people. Um, and I think God has given me three little daughters to help draw out how I can care better for people. Um, he said, well, he said, what's, what's going on in your life? Tell me about it. So Luke and I have started to get to know each other. And I shared my story with him. And he said, oh, man, well, I grew up, I grew up in church. And I kind of wrote that off. He said, but my business is consuming me right now, so I don't have time for anything else. I said, well, Luke, actually, Brandon around the corner and I are going to start reading the Bible. Would you be interested? He said, maybe. So I'm praying for Luke. That's where we are right now. But God has opened a door for me to share my story, to take an opportunity with that. So I'm getting to know Luke and Letty. I'm getting to know Brandon. I'm getting to know Brent, who is a, a parent of one of, he's a, he's a daughter who's in one of my daughter's classes. Brent is an executive chef at a nice restaurant in Atlanta, and he and I have just been getting to know each other when we walk our kids into school in the morning at 8 a.m., and we've been having conversations. And I asked Brent one morning, Brent, tell me what, what you're doing, man. What are you doing? He told me about his restaurant, and I said, well, man, what do, you, what do you find most fulfilling or satisfying about being an executive chef at a nice restaurant here? And he said, I'll tell you what. I'm actually having a real hard time because... I don't feel like it's very satisfying. Oh, okay. Tell me about that. And then he said, he said, well, what do you do? And usually that question opens a can of worms. Do I say I'm a missionary? Do I say, what do I say? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, Brent, here's what I do. I, want pe I try to help come alongside people and help them develop a real relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what I do. Kind of step back. He was like, what does that mean? I said, well, I'd love to talk to you some more about it. You want to know what that means? Sure. So Brent and I are starting to have conversations. I said, Brent, let me tell you my story. So I got to share my story with him. Here's the thing. We have opportunities around us to share our story. It could be the guy at the security desk that you work alongside. It could be your coworker. It could be the coffee shop owner, the barista. It could be another parent. All around us, God is placing people in our lives we can share a story, and John was positioning himself, and Peter is driving at this. And lastly, in Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6, Colossians 4, 5 and 6, Paul writes to the Colossian church, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 
I think Paul was on to this, that there will be outsiders who come alongside and see something different if you're walking with Jesus, and they should. How do we live wisely in a way that they do see something different? How do we conduct ourselves in a way that people see Jesus in and through us? But it's so strange because they don't see Jesus in the world, and they don't see Jesus in Christianity very often, so that when they see Jesus in you, they can't help but stop and think, there's something different here. What is it? It's compelling. It's attractive, and I want it. How do we live in such a way that we take every opportunity to share that, our story, of God working to redeem and restore his people. To close this up, we could share a lot of stories, but I want to leave you with five truths that we must embrace. And I'm just going to spell them out one by one. Five truths we must embrace to share a story. And I've already said this, but this is the first truth. Jesus doesn't just change our lives. He renews our lives. He renews us. He doesn't just make us different people. He makes us new creations. Justin preached on that last week. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That's the first truth. The second truth is this. Jesus doesn't just make us better people. Right? This is what we, we just want to be better people. I have a terrible time just being a better person. You could ask my wife. He doesn't just make us better people. He makes us his people. His people. We are his. The third truth is Jesus doesn't just give us our own story. He brings our story into his overall story. Number four, Jesus doesn't just give us opportunities to share our story. He empowers us, like he empowered John. He empowers us to lead others to him with our story. That's amazing. That God could use my broken story of a sinful man to lead others to him. That's beautiful. He empowers us to lead others to him with our story. And the last one is this. Jesus doesn't just give us a story to boast about our lives, but to glorify his. God will use your life and your story to deeply impact and even transform others. How can you take every opportunity to share your story of how Jesus has changed your life? Let me pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us First and foremost, a heart set on you. A heart set on you. That we would recognize above all else that you are God and we are not and that you are the one working to redeem and restore us and we get to enter into that. Father, I pray that you would press into each of us the truth that our stories are valuable because you are working. And we don't all have to have a story of some radical transformation. But God, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, I pray, Jesus, you would speak to us and say, you want to use us and you will use us. And I pray, Jesus, that this congregation, this church would go out into this community 
And even thinking about Todd being in Nairobi, God, that you would use this church and this community to go to every nation to share the story of how you are at work, how you are alive, how you are active, and how you are working to redeem your people, renew your people, restore your people, and reconcile your people to yourself. So Father, would you empower every individual in this church to take every opportunity to share how you were at work and how you've worked in us. In Jesus' name, amen.